This is Than Bennett in Washington, D.C. The moderators lose control of the Democrat debate in Charleston. We'll break it down for you today on Jay Sekulow Live. Live from Washington, D.C., Jay Sekulow Live. I think we were talking about math, and it doesn't take two hours to do the math. Because let's talk about what it has to do with math. Let's talk about math. Talk about math. Okay, so here's the math thing. No, here's the math. Doing nothing is what will happen. Senator Sanders, you're allowed a quick response, and we would like to allow you to moderate, guys. Phone lines are open for your questions right now. Call 1-800-684-3110. Why am I stopping? You, no one else stops. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm not out of time. You spoke over time, and I'm going to talk. Here's the deal. And now your host, Than Bennett. Welcome into Jay Sekulow Live, everybody. I'm Than Bennett in Washington, D.C. Very happy to be with you today. Happy to be joined by my good friend, Professor Harry Hutchison. And my, oh my, if you did not understand the open to the show folks that is because that is really what all of last night's democratic debate was it was very difficult to understand it was really a food fight especially uh, for the first hour folks it was just an absolute free-for-all crosstalk over each other very difficult uh, to understand the moderators um, quite frankly just very honestly did not do a good job of determining uh, who was supposed to talk one at a time everybody was talking at once everyone was jumping in it was very difficult uh, to glean anything from it. It really was chaos in Charleston. A couple of things I would note for you just off the top here, and I I do want to get you into the conversation at 1-800-684-3110. But the first takeaway that I had from last night's debate, it it is now abundantly clear to everyone that Senator Bernie Sanders is the clear front runner at this point. He took most of the incoming fire last night, took an awful lot of it from everyone on stage, And really, the fire that wasn't aimed at him was aimed at trying to become the alternative to him. So I think everyone up on that stage acknowledged that he is now the front runner uh, for the nomination. And second, I think it's important to talk about the chaos and to talk about um, all of the drama that happened last night. But there were a few very substantive issues that I do want to get into on this broadcast as well, because they highlight some of the very... Um, uh, contrast that you will see come next November. We're going to talk a little bit about Israel. We're going to talk about authoritarianism in the world. We're going to talk about the political dynamics that were uh, talked about last night. And in the next segment of the broadcast, we're going to talk about an exchange on the issue of life that is particularly interesting to me, given the, the votes that were taken in the United States Senate yesterday. We will get it more into that in the next segment of the broadcast. But Harry, I want to come to you right off the top, because while last night it was difficult maybe to take away much, because it was just a, a whole lot of, of fighting, uh, there were some substantive issues. But to me, I think it's very clear that Senator Sanders is now the front runner. I think Mayor Bloomberg and Vice President Biden are trying to be the alternatives, and everyone else is trying to to scramble to compete. But there sure was an awful lot of fighting last night. I think you're absolutely correct. So if you look at last night's debate, uh, coolly and rationally, uh, the moderators and the debaters collectively engaged in a train wreck. Uh, They managed to talk over one another, uh, but uh, some substantive issues were nonetheless covered. So I think it is clear from last night's debate that Bernie Sanders is a a supporter of authoritarian regimes. It's important to note that he uh, essentially still was saying nice things about China and Cuba, 
those dictatorships, but he saved his strongest criticism uh, for the nation of Israel. In addition, Bernie Sanders failed elementary socialist math. Uh, he could not account for how he, all of his programs, which total more than the gross domestic product of the country, how he would pay for all of the programs. So I think at the end of the day, the American people learned something. I think it was a tough night for the Democrats in Charleston. I really do. It led to two of the candidates, Mayor Pete and also Mayor Bloomberg, acknowledging that they think uh, Senator Sanders might get the nomination and that President Trump will beat him. Pretty telling admissions from a Democrat debate. We'll talk about it when we come back after the break and get into the life issue that was discussed. If you want to be a part of the broadcast, phone lines open for you. 1-800-684-3110. We'll be back after this. The challenges facing Americans are substantial at a time when our values, our freedoms, our constitutional rights are under attack. It's more important than ever to stand with the American Center for Law and Justice. For decades now, the ACLJ has been on the front lines protecting your freedoms, defending your rights in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. And we have an exceptional track record of success. But here's the bottom line. We could not do our work without your support. We remain committed to protecting your religious and constitutional freedoms. That remains our top priority, especially now during these challenging times. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at ACLJ.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today, ACLJ.org. Only when a society can agree that the most vulnerable and voiceless deserve to be protected is there any hope for that culture to survive. And that's exactly what you are saying when you stand with the American Center for Law and Justice to defend the right to life. We've created a free, powerful publication offering a panoramic view of the ACLJ's battle for the unborn. It's called Mission Life. It will show you how you are personally impacting the pro-life battle through your support. And the publication includes a look at all major ACLJ pro-life cases, how we're fighting for the rights of pro-life activists, the ramifications of Roe v. Wade 40 years later, Planned Parenthood's role in the abortion industry, and what Obamacare means to the pro-life movement. Discover the many ways your membership with the ACLJ is empowering the right to life. Request your free copy of Mission Life today online at aclj.org slash gift. Back to Jay Secular Live, Fan Bennett in Washington, D.C. In just a moment here, I want to get into some of the issues that were discussed last night at the Democrat primary debate in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. But I wanted to, uh, before we get into some of those issues, I wanted to play one of the takeaways from Mayor Bloomberg, actually, last night as, as they, were, uh, they were fighting back and forth. And Mayor Bloomberg sort of gave a, a rather blunt assessment of where he thought this race was heading. Uh, it might be uh, somewhat surprising to the rest of you, uh, but l- l- let's listen to it. This is a short bite, bite 67, Mayor Bloomberg from last night. If you keep on going, we will elect Bernie. Bernie will lose to Donald Trump 
and Donald Trump and the House and the Senate and some of the state houses will all go red and then between gerrymandering and appointing judges for the next 20 or 30 years, we're going to live with this Mayor catastrophe. Harry, it was a rather uh, blunt admission on behalf of Mayor Bloomberg's, but I actually happen to agree with him on the on the political assessment of it, at least. There is this growing fear inside the Democrat Party that they are going to nominate someone who hasn't even been a Democrat, who uh, uh, professes to be a Democratic Socialist, whatever that means. And then he will try to run against a president who has uh, the lowest unemployment in 50 years, the lowest minority unemployment of all time, uh, against a very strong economy, and that will just be impossible to win come next November. Just, Harry, just on a on a brashly political assessment, I did think that Mayor Bloomberg was correct, that a, a Bernie Sanders nomination, I would argue that this might extend to some of the other candidates up there as well, but a Bernie Sanders nomination probably does lead to a President Trump win in November. I think that is true, although I would certainly suggest that uh, Trump supporters should not be overconfident, uh, because keep in mind that President Trump's election in 2016 was also a surprise. Uh, But yes, I uh, agree with Bloomberg's overall assessment uh, that nominating Bernie Sanders, who continues to uh, double down on his support for authoritarian regimes, uh, would be a huge political and strategic mistake uh, by the Democrats. But I also think Bernie Sanders still has, after last, last night's debate, huge momentum. And so then the question becomes, can he be stopped? Will he arrive in Milwaukee with a huge plurality? And then will the Democrats uh, try with super delicate delegates uh, to block uh, Bernie's ascension as the nominee? If that happens, uh, then the Democrat a party could implode into further chaos. So I think the Democrats face uh, a a very difficult uh, scenario going forward. Yeah, I think it's going to be an uphill battle to defeat this president, no matter who the nominee is. And Harry, wow, if your scenario of a second ballot overturning the plurality leader uh, happens in Milwaukee, I think chaos is the right word to use. I think that would be a disaster for the Democrat Party. We'll see what plays out. We'll get into some more of the political analysis here in just a minute. But folks, I want to turn to the issue of life that was omitted entirely during the last debate. It was finally brought up by Senator Warren last night, and I thought in a way that really gave away the game, gave away the the moral grounding for the case that she is making. And I want you to, to set this up to play some sound for you. This is Senator Elizabeth Warren, Warren attacking Mayor Bloomberg over an allegation that was made against him years ago that resulted in one of these non-disclosure agreements that they've been fighting back and forth over over the last couple of weeks. And Senator Warren is attacking the mayor over that NDA. But the tactic that she uses, folks, really does get to the core of the debate over life. And I'm going to tie in some of the votes that happened in the United States Senate yesterday after I play this sound for you. But I want you to listen to the words that Senator Warren uses. They're tragic, but they do get to the very core of this issue. Take a listen to her own words. This is Senator Elizabeth Warren, Bite 21 from last night. You know, this is personal for me. When I was 21 years old, I got my first job as a special education teacher. I loved that job. And by the end of the first year, I was visibly pregnant. The principal wished me luck and gave my job to someone else. Pregnancy discrimination, you bet. 
but I was 21 years old, I didn't have a union to protect me, and I didn't have any federal law on my side. So I packed up my stuff and I went home. At least I didn't have a boss who said to me, kill it, the way that I Mayor Bloomberg never alleged said that. have said to one of oh, his pregnant employees. Kill it. Senator Warren says that Mayor Bloomberg said it. The mayor says that he didn't. And folks, I don't know what the truth is. It happened a long time ago. It's covered by an NDA. I don't know the truth. But the question that I have is actually for Senator Warren. I want to know, why is this a problem for you? Because in order to kill something, it has to have a life in the first place. And you have consistently and forcefully and viscerally advocated for this radical idea that the scientific evidence for life in the womb should be ignored, that it should be uh, rejected, and that that life can be snuffed out, dare I say, killed with no regard or no penalty under the law. Your view has long been uh, that there is nothing to kill. So it, it's a belief that I would say falls apart under just the barest amount of scientific evidence or scrutiny, but that has been your view. So for you to attack Mayor Bloomberg over over this view after years of espousing the opposite, I think it shows that it's a political football Uh, Harry, and I would just say um, the truth is tragically that it is much more than that. It is a life. It's a life that has value and it's a life that should be uh, protected under the law. But Harry, it is too often tragically killed. So Senator Warren might want to use this as a political attack on Mayor Bloomberg. But I think she did a backhanded favor to the pro-life movement by conceding this premise that there is a life inside the womb that is worth uh, protecting. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of, of Senator Warren's attack. I would be ashamed of Mayor Bloomberg's words if he said them. But at the end of the day, Harry, it does bring us back to this very basic argument that we're talking about a life that in many cases could be viable outside the womb. Uh, Senator Warren has been one of the people that has been giving a, a given um, legal protection for the act that would take that life. I thought this was a very duplicitous moment on behalf of the senator. And quite frankly, I think she should be ashamed of herself for it. I think that is correct. And it's also important to note that at the same debate, she said that her model uh, was that we should care for the least among us. Uh, And who could uh, fit that category more precisely than a baby in the womb? So she should change her model uh, and claim that we should care for the least among us, except when it is politically convenient, Uh, unless... uh, Campaign contributions from Planned Parenthood are at stake. So Elizabeth Warren supports the right of abortion doctors to kill the baby, but now she wants to criticize Bloomberg precisely for her own sentiments. Uh, And so one of the things that you have to give Elizabeth Warren credit for is her distinguished commitment to hypocrisy. So let's talk about how this ties into the votes the United States Senate uh, took yesterday. We talked about this last week, that these votes were coming up, but kudos to Leader McConnell McConnell for teeing both of these votes up. Now, there were three senators who were on the debate stage last night and did not cast votes, Senator Klobuchar, Senator Sanders, and Senator Warren herself. But the two votes really illustrated this debate that's happening in Washington, D.C. on 
Will the Democrat Party or the Republican Party in some cases, will they draw a line on when life merits uh, protection under the law? There were two bills. The first one was sponsored by Senator Lindsey Graham. It's called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. It simply says that at, at 20 weeks gestation, where the medical community has found consensus, there's very little disagreement here. In fact, most of the research says it starts earlier, but at 20 weeks, basically all of the medical community agrees that a baby in utero feels pain. So at that point, you would ban abortion except under very limited circumstances. Only two Democrat senators, Bob Casey of Pennsylvania and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, were willing to vote for that piece of legislation. Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski on the Republican side voted against it, so it fell seven votes short of the 60 votes that it needed to proceed. But then we got to a bill that I think is even more telling. This is called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. It was put forward by Ben Sass of Nebraska. And it says that if a baby survives abortion and is born, so we're talking about a live human being laying on the table, fighting for life, has a chance for life, and needs medical care, can the medical professionals simply walk away and let that baby die? Can they engage in passive infanticide? Or is this obsession with abortion so intense that it is now going to carry forward into infanticide? We saw that, of course, in Virginia. Folks, only three Democrats, only three Democrats in the United States Senate were willing to vote for that piece of legislation. Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, and Doug Jones of Alabama. Uh, Every single Republican, including Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, voted for that piece of legislation. But folks, it fell four votes short of of the 60 votes needed to pass the United States Senate. We were not even willing in the United States Senate to stand for the protection of life that had already been born, was on the table fighting for life. So I would just say to Senator Warren, she wants to attack Mayor Bloomberg over his alleged uh, allegation that, that we should kill it. Uh, Folks, she and her party in Washington, D.C. aren't even willing to stand for the protection of life that is not in utero. It is on the table. It is fighting for life. It is out of the birth canal. And they do not believe it should have protection under the law. It's a sad state of affairs, but it happened on the very same day that she made this argument in South Carolina. We'll be back after this break. Only when a society can agree that the most vulnerable and voiceless deserve to be protected is there any hope for that culture to survive. And that's exactly what you are saying when you stand with the American Center for Law and Justice to defend the right to life. We've created a free, powerful publication offering a panoramic view of the ACLJ's battle for the unborn. It's called Mission Life. It will show you how you are personally impacting the pro-life battle through your support. And the publication includes a look at all major ACLJ pro-life cases, how we're fighting for the rights of pro-life activists, the ramifications of Roe v. Wade 40 years later, Planned Parenthood's role in the abortion industry, and what Obamacare means to the pro-life movement. Discover the many ways your membership with the ACLJ is empowering the right to life. Request your free copy of Mission Life today online at aclj.org gift. The challenges facing Americans are substantial at a time when our values, our freedoms, our constitutional rights are under attack. It's more important than ever to stand with the American Center for Law and Justice. For decades now, the ACLJ has been on the front lines protecting your freedoms, defending your rights in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. And we have an exceptional track record of success 
But here's the bottom line. We could not do our work without your support. We remain committed to protecting your religious and constitutional freedoms. That remains our top priority, especially now during these challenging times. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at ACLJ.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today. ACLJ.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to Jay Secular Live, Than Bennett in Washington, D.C. We're going to get into some of the issues that were discussed during last night's debate in South Carolina. I want to jump right back into a couple of the exchanges that happened right off the top of this debate because I think um, just sort of set a top line, they illustrate where we're at politically, where the Democrats believe they're, they're situated heading into a general election in November, and then maybe what is continuing to play out inside the primary as Senator Sanders tries to close the door on, I would say, two vi- semi-viable candidates trying to chase him down. Vice President Biden uh, looking for his shot in South Carolina, and then Mayor Bloomberg with all of that money pouring into the Super Tuesday states that are just a few days away. Uh, but I want to play for you. Uh, this is bite number one, and it's, it's an exchange between Nora O'Donnell one of the moderators, and Senator Sanders on this issue of how is he going to take on President Trump in this roaring economy by trying to radically undo the economic structure of America into more of his vein of, of democratic socialism. Take a listen. This is bite one. How will you convince voters that a democratic socialist can do better than President Trump with the economy? Well, you're right. The economy is doing really great for people like Mr. Bloomberg and other billionaires. In the last three years, last three years, billionaires in this country saw an $850 billion increase in their wealth. But you know what? For the ordinary American, things are not so good. Harry, I want to come to you. You're a, uh, an economist, a professor of these issues. I, I just cannot figure out how Senator Sanders thinks that he is going to make this case at this point in time that the or, that ordinary Americans are not doing better under this economy than they would in his view of the co- economy. I, I alluded to this in the opening segment of the broadcast, but you've got you know the stock market soaring. You've got uh, uh, unemployment at 50-year lows. You've got African-American and Hispanic uh, unemployment at at, at lows of uh, all nearing all-time lows in, in all of those categories. Harry, how does Senator Sanders, how can he make this argument with a straight face? He may believe these things, Harry. He may believe that a socialist approach is, is better, but how is he going to tell an average voter uh, that it is time to undo the economy that's been working well for them over the last few years? I think that's a really tough sell. I think it is a very tough sell, and I don't think he can do it effectively, but Uh, Senator Sanders' comments on the economy in the face of record lows in terms of unemployment for the nation as a whole, record lows for uh, unemployment for African Americans, Latin Americans, uh, Latinos, uh, with real incomes up for working people. And keep in mind, real incomes have gone up faster over the last couple of years for working people than for upper middle-income people. Uh, All of this represents Bernie Sanders' willingness to put on blinders and then jump on a horse and then head for a chasm. Uh, If you look at it carefully, uh, Bernie Sanders' willful blindness 
in the face of unrivaled economic statistics mirrors his willful blindness with respect to Cuba, his willful blindness with respect to China, regimes that he has favorable things to say. So he can't say really anything favorable about the U.S. economy, but he loves literacy in Cuba under a murderous dictator. Apparently, he loves economic growth in China, which has slaughtered more than 20 million of its citizens in order to achieve this growth. And so uh, I think at the end of the day, we have to conclude one thing, that Bernie Sanders, he supports authoritarianism. He wants to tell the American people that they have to give up uh, plastic straws. Uh, uh, They have to exchange plastic bags for paper bags. He wants to destroy the coal industry. In other words, he wants to destroy to disemploy a significant segment of the United States economy in order to achieve his vision of control by bureaucratic elites located where? In Washington, D.C. And I think the American people are prepared to reject that. He did seem to have a hard time last night and in previous debates finding things about the American way of life that he was in favor of, but he he was certainly able to find them in more authoritarian places like Cuba and China. It did seem rather strange for me for as someone who's running to be president of the United States. But look, folks, I mean, this is where the energy inside the Democrat Party is. I think we just have to be honest with it. And I think one of the uh, one of the pieces of evidence about that actually came from Senator Warren last night. She you would think that she would be, uh, you know, trying to get uh, some digs in on the leader, who is Senator Sanders, as she's trying to become the nominee. Uh, but I think there was a there was a concession from her repeatedly that she knows that Senator Sanders has already beat her in this primary within the primary, if you will, on the more uh, left socialist wing of the party. Senator Sanders has sort of uh, won that vote, and she she kind of made a point several times to say, "Look, I'm I'm just like Bernie. I have all of the same ideas. He he and I are are the same person. I would just be better at implementing them." And if it sounds to you like I'm making this up, you can hear it directly from her. I want to play this for you. It's bite four. To me, this is a concession from Senator Warren that Senator Sanders has won that first lane inside this primary process. He has defeated her. He is the the, social, the Democrat socialist uh, pick inside this nomination. This is bite four. Bernie and I agree on a lot of things, but I think I would make a better president than Bernie. And the reason for that is that getting a progressive agenda enacted is going to be really hard, and it's going to take someone who digs into the details to make it happen. Bernie and I both wanted to help rein in Wall Street. In 2008, we both got our chance. But I dug in, I fought the big banks, I built the coalitions, and I won. Bernie and I both want to see universal health care, but Bernie's plan doesn't explain how to get there, doesn't show how we're going to get enough allies into it, and doesn't show enough about how we're going to pay for it. Harry, this is a pretty remarkable admission for a Democrat primary. I mean, I, yes, I know at the end there he said she says that, well, I could do this better because I've given you more details. But, you know, 75 percent of that answer was saying Bernie is right on all of this. Harry, it's pretty rare that you see a candidate say the person who's out in front, the person who's about ready to clinch this nomination. I agree with him on everything. He's got great ideas. That, it was pretty remarkable last night. I think that's correct. And so if you follow the logic, 
of Senator Warren's analysis. She needs to have a heart-to-heart conversation with herself because the logic of her answer suggests that she should convince herself to drop out promptly from the race. In other words, Bernie Sanders is a better candidate than she is, even though she might be a more effective implementer of socialist policies. I think she's lost the primary inside the primary to Senator Sanders. He has locked up that wing of the party, and he has done it before any of the alternatives to him have been able to lock up the others. Uh, Look, I think the other lane, folks, I think that is largely down to the former vice president, Joe Biden, and Mayor Bloomberg. And interestingly enough, they sort of have dual tracks. Uh, strategies here. Uh, The vice president's strategy really does hinge on this Saturday in South Carolina. He needs to win it. He needs to win it convincingly. Most of the polls have him up. Most think that he will win. I actually think there might be a little surprise there, but most people think he's headed towards victory, where Mayor Bloomberg has all of his chips on Super Tuesday. And I've got to tell you, it sets up a scenario where if both of them were to succeed, the real winner in the nomination would be Senator Sanders because the delegates between Mayor Bloomberg and the former vice president would be split and, and Senator Sanders' lead after, Senator, after Super Tuesday could be uh, convincing. It could be so far that none of the candidates can catch up. We'll see how it plays out, but it starts on Saturday in South Carolina. We'll be back after this. For decades now, the ACLJ has been on the front lines, protecting your freedoms, defending your rights, in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at ACLJ.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today. ACLJ.org. Live from Washington, D.C., Jay Sekulow Live. And now your host, Dan Bennett. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Jay Sekulow Live. Dan Bennett in Washington, D.C. We left off in the last uh, uh, segment of the broadcast talking about how Senator Sanders has likely locked up the primary within the primary on the socialist side of the Democrat Party. There is still an open contest, I believe, in the other lane for this nomination. And I think it's largely down to two candidates. I think it's largely down to Vice President Biden and Mayor Bloomberg for a couple of different reasons. Uh, The first would be South Carolina. This has long been the state that the former vice president has claimed as his firewall. He has seen his support there slip pretty mightily, although most of the polls still have him a few points ahead, most of them in that 3-4 five range there are a couple of a couple of polls that have him uh, further ahead but I, th- I do think the energy is still with senator sanders so i think this might be tighter than we would expect but there, this 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 topic came up during last night's debate and the vice president was asked about his support inside the african-american community which is a very big voting block in south carolina i wanted you to pl- play that bite for you and then a follow-up uh, when asked whether or not he would win south carolina but let's start with bite 11 vice president biden from last night 
I've worked like the devil to earn the vote of the African-American community, not just here, but across the country. I've been coming here for years and years, creating jobs here, making sure that the port, for example, that employs one in 11 people. We put $500 million in our administration just into this county. We've created jobs for people. The people know me. My entire career has been wrapped up in dealing with civil rights and civil liberties. I don't expect anything. I plan to earn the vote. I hear, I'm here to ask. I'm here to earn and then there was a follow-up. I want to see if we can play these two bites back-to-back. They're bites 12 and 11, where the moderators followed up with the vice president and asked whether or not he was going to win South Carolina, and then if he didn't, whether or not he would drop out of this race. So listen to the follow-up. It's bites 12 and 13. I intend to win South Carolina, and I will win the African-American vote here in South Carolina. If you don't win South Carolina, will you continue in the I will race? win South Carolina. <laughs> All right, sir. <laughs> That response is a concession that if he doesn't win South Carolina, Harry, he does not have a chance to win this nomination. Uh, Look, the polls do have him up in South Carolina. I think most would say uh, that he's going to win it. But, Harry, uh, this is really his chance to be the alternative to Senator Sanders. If he doesn't win in South Carolina, this is the end of the line for the vice president. I think that is correct. And so I think um, Joe Biden um, is facing the music. In other words, he's made a relatively bleak assessment of the viability of his candidacy. So his candidacy uh, is hanging on uh, perhaps by his own fingernails in South Carolina. If he loses South Carolina, it will be time for Joe Biden to go home, and then the the race will come down to Bloomberg versus Sanders, with Sanders clearly having the momentum. And I think, uh, for instance, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, uh, his uh, debate performance last night was certainly much better uh, than it was uh, last week, uh, but it still uh, suggests that... Uh, Uh, Mayor Bloomberg has room to grow, as they say, uh, as a debater, uh, because he was not stunningly effective. (laughs) That's probably an understatement, Harry, but you're certainly correct. Here's my view of the problem for the former vice president. Uh, Mayor Bloomberg can knock him out uh, this Saturday in South Carolina uh, just by virtue of Senator Sanders beating the vice president. If that happens, uh, Vice President Biden's campaign is essentially over. But the vice president can't knock out Mayor Bloomberg this Saturday. In fact, Mayor Bloomberg has a very high floor for the number of delegates that he's going to get on Super Tuesday. Now, I think Senator Sanders is going to win a lot more. I think after Super Tuesday, Senator Sanders is going to have a very big lead. But look, Mayor Bloomberg is going to get a lot of delegates on Super Tuesday just by virtue of the fact that he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars across all of these states, while many of these other candidates, really all of them except for Senator Sanders, cannot afford to play that broadly. So Mayor Bloomberg is going to be viable on Super Tuesday, even if the vice president wins in South Carolina on Saturday. That is a big problem for the vice president as he tries to become the alternative to Senator Sanders. And frankly, it probably helps Senator Sanders as well. Folks, after this break, we're going to get to your calls. 1-800-684-3110. Who do you think is going to be the nominee for the Democrat Party? The challenges facing Americans are substantial at a time when our values, our freedoms, our constitutional rights are under attack. It's more important than ever to stand with the American Center for Law and Justice. For decades now, the ACLJ has been on the front lines protecting your freedoms, defending your rights, 
in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. And we have an exceptional track record of success. But here's the bottom line. We could not do our work without your support. We remain committed to protecting your religious and constitutional freedoms. That remains our top priority, especially now during these challenging times. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at ACLJ.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today, ACLJ.org. Only when a society can agree that the most vulnerable and voiceless deserve to be protected is there any hope for that culture to survive. And that's exactly what you are saying when you stand with the American Center for Law and Justice to defend the right to life. We've created a free, powerful publication offering a panoramic view of the ACLJ's battle for the unborn. It's called Mission Life. It will show you how you are personally impacting the pro-life battle through your support. And the publication includes a look at all major ACLJ pro-life cases, how we're fighting for the rights of pro-life activists, the ramifications of Roe v. Wade 40 years later, Planned Parenthood's role in the abortion industry, and what Obamacare means to the pro-life movement. Discover the many ways your membership with the ACLJ is empowering the right to life. Request your free copy of Mission Life today online at aclj.org gift. Hey everyone, welcome back to Jay Secular Live. We continue to break down the Democrat primary debate that took place in Charleston, South Carolina last night. And one of the most interesting things to me has been the fact that the the current front runner, and I think the, the the candidate with really all the momentum inside this primary race, Senator Sanders, has continued to double and triple down on his belief that uh, you know communist regimes, authoritarian regimes around the world uh, have accomplished a lot of good. He has seemingly been willing uh, to overlook or at least just very casually mention, uh, obviously, the, the the catastrophic drawbacks of this kind of approach to governing. And it has instead focused most of attention on the positive outcomes that have come um, come out of them. Maybe it shouldn't be surprising given the, the decades of support that he has had, but I have been surprised that it has played that positively inside the Democrat debate. And we actually have a caller calling in uh, to talk about that, some personal experience with this type of government. I want to go to line two. This is Demetro uh, calling from Washington. Demetro, thank you for calling in. Welcome to J Seculo Live. Thank you. Thank you very much, you guys, for everything you do. God bless you. Uh, there are two points I'd like to talk um, quickly about. First, about Bernie and his uh, lies about economy. Uh, I'm an average American making under $60,000 a year, and I would say that it does affect me directly. I was able to also develop a small business during Trump's presidency. So I don't know what he's talking about, but it, it, is a fact, it does affect all the layers of society. And second point is um, a, a Bernie's utopian ideas of communism. We um, came here over 10 years ago with the whole family, and what socialism brings, why we left is, number one, because of socialist uh, ideas of, of Ukraine as number one ally to Russia, right? And um, we, we had to leave. And uh, uh, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest thrills was, was because Christian persecution. Uh, of some of my families, uh, uh, close relatives, 
uh, going back uh, 60, 80 years ago, they were persecuted, starting from gulags and to more close uh, uh, relatives as my, my father, my brothers, my mom, my, my grandfather. They were all persecuted in different uh, ways and shapes and forms. But that's what's going to come. And when I talk to American people about persecution and hardships that we had during the Soviet Union, they just simply can't believe they say it can't be that bad. Yeah, Dimitri, I, I tell you what, I'm so grateful for you calling in. These are the lessons of history that you cannot afford to ignore. If you ignore them, you repeat them. And Harry, I want to come to you on this. I want to first play a bite from Senator Sanders because it's just been amazing to me that he continues to decline to talk about uh, the horrific experiences that we just heard our caller talk about. But he continues to say, well, at least everyone can read. Well, you know, you know, I, I mean, I suppose it's good that people can read. But when you're facing the type of religious persecution and your, your life is under threat, like Dimitro is describing, a literacy program doesn't even scratch the surface for the conversation, and someone like Senator Sanders should be focused on that primary problem, not some of these tertiary issues that have been dominating his entire dialogue. But I want to play for you how this sounded last night. This is Bite 49, as Senator Sanders is asked about some of his positive comments for the regimes like the caller's talking about. Let's play it. Bite 49. Sir, uh, you've praised the Chinese Communist Party for lifting more people out of extreme poverty than any other country. You also have a track record of expressing sympathy for socialist governments in Cuba and in Nicaragua. Can Americans trust that a democratic socialist president will not give authoritarians a free pass? I have opposed authoritarianism all over the world, and I was really amazed at what Mayor Bloomberg just said a moment ago. He said that the Chinese government is responsive to the Politburo. But who is the Politburo responsive to? Who elects the Politburo? You got a real dictatorship there? Of course you have a dictatorship in Cuba. What I said is what Barack Obama said in terms of Cuba, that Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think, really? Really? Yes, because there's no comparing bad. What Barack Obama said is they made great progress on education and health care. Folks, it's all about the, the what he's focusing on. I mean, he says he can say he's opposed authoritarianism all over the world, but Harry, every time he speaks at this, he starts with what he sees as are the positive attributes of that. One of the responsibilities of someone in his position is to speak with a clear voice about the most important issues that come out of these oppressive regimes. Uh, Harry, in my view, Senator Sanders has failed on that miserably. I think you're absolutely correct. So Bernie Sanders, more likely than not, as president, would be terrible on the issue of persecution in Russia, in Ukraine, China, Cuba, and elsewhere. He is blinded, arguably, by his Marxist ideology. He sees socialism and hence authoritarianism as inevitable. He wants to confer power on the bureaucrats in Washington, because he doesn't believe that the American people, left to their own devices under freedom, uh, have the right to control their own lives. And so there's a recent book uh, out which actually interviews government bureaucrats in Washington. Guess what? Uh, The bottom line is that the bureaucrats in Washington believe that the American people the, the, the Christians and others are simply morons. 
In other words, they want to be in charge. And I think Bernie Sanders is happy to have the bureaucrats in charge. And so if you believe that the bureaucrats in Washington can do a better job managing your own life, then Bernie Sanders is your candidate. But if you prefer liberty, if you prefer religious uh, freedom, if you prefer the First Amendment right to speak your mind in public, uh, then you should look elsewhere. Susan, I'm going to come to your call in just a minute, but just in case you think that Senator Sanders might have uh, rethought his ideas, maybe after he was questioned about it again, he would realize the error of his ways and speak a little more firmly to these uh, oppressive regimes. Uh, This came up again. The moderators pushed back, gave him another chance to walk back his position. He declined to do it. Take a listen. Bite 51. I have condemned authoritarianism, whether it is the people in Saudi Arabia that the United States government has loved for years, Cuba, Nicaragua. Authoritarianism of any stripe is bad. But that is different than saying that governments occasionally do things that are good. Authoritarianism of any stripe is bad, but all of them also do good things. I, I just I, He had an easy opportunity to accept the period that the former vice president put on it and move on. He declined to do it. Uh, we'll see if he pays a price. You know, honestly, I, I think this actually probably helps him inside the Democrat primary, which is a very sad thing to admit, but it sure looks like that is the case. I want to go to the phone lines, 1-800-684-3110. Uh, Susan, I know you've been holding on for a long time. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, you're calling from Missouri. Welcome to Jay Secular Live. Thank you for the opportunity. I would just like to get an educated answer as to should Bernie Sanders take the election in November, and I hope he doesn't, but should he take the election in November if it's possible and how our country <clears throat> could recover after four years of the damage he could potentially do. Well, fortunately, we've got a law and economics uh, professor and expert on the on the uh, broadcast with us. I'll go to Professor Hutchison on this question. Uh, professor, I, I mean, I guess just from a political point of view, I would set this up by saying um, there, of course, are multiple branches of government, and some of these policies would have to move through the United States Congress. But we say it very often on this broadcast, elections have consequences and electing a president of the United States that has these views, there is just no doubt there would be a significant impact on the U.S. economy and the way we are used to it running. But in your view, how long lasting would those impacts be? Well, it could be significant. It would all depend to some extent on whether or not the uh, Republicans can A, keep the Senate and B, recapture the House under a Bernie Sanders presidency. If that happens, that means a significant number of his so-called reform measures will indeed be blocked. In addition to which, uh, Article Three judges uh, can act as a break on a Sanders presidency. Keep in mind uh, that President Trump has done a very effective job of flipping a number of circuits, including... Um, he is the Ninth Circuit and certainly, I think, the Second Circuit. But I also think uh, we should look at history from a longer-term perspective, which may not necessarily give the caller all that much hope. Uh, but when the Moravians came to the United States, 
they were focused on a 100-year revival. Uh, and it's also important to keep in mind uh, that 12 uh, rather simple men changed world history uh, for the good uh, starting uh, approximately 2,000 years ago. That's a great point, Harry. Well taken. I would tell you, I think the economic damage of a president with all of the levers of the executive branch would be very significant. I do hope that the American voters uh, keep that in mind come next November. But folks, if you thought it stopped there, wait till after this break. We're going to get into the conversation that the candidates had about the nation of Israel. You might be surprised back after this on Jay Seculo Live. Only when a society can agree that the most vulnerable and voiceless deserve to be protected is there any hope for that culture to survive. And that's exactly what you are saying when you stand with the American Center for Law and Justice to defend the right to life. We've created a free, powerful publication offering a panoramic view of the ACLJ's battle for the unborn. It's called Mission Life. It will show you how you are personally impacting the pro-life battle through your support. And the publication includes a look at all major ACLJ pro-life cases, how we're fighting for the rights of pro-life activists, the ramifications of Roe v. Wade 40 years later, Planned Parenthood's role in the abortion industry, and what Obamacare means to the pro-life movement. Discover the many ways your membership with the ACLJ is empowering the right to life. Request your free copy of Mission Life today online at aclj.org gift. The challenges facing Americans are substantial at a time when our values, our freedoms, our constitutional rights are under attack. It's more important than ever to stand with the American Center for Law and Justice. For decades now, the ACLJ has been on the front lines protecting your freedoms, defending your rights in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. And we have an exceptional track record of success. But here's the bottom line. We could not do our work without your support. We remain committed to protecting your religious and constitutional freedoms. That remains our top priority, especially now during these challenging times. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at aclj.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today, aclj.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to Jay Secular Live, Than Bennett in Washington, D.C. If you are watching us on Facebook or Periscope, you saw during the break some of the dialogue that the candidates had last night on our relationship with Israel. Of course, we've brought to you on this broadcast uh, many times uh, the significant moves that this administration has done to strengthen that relationship. And and maybe one of the most important moves is uh, simply acknowledging Israel's sovereign right to declare its own capital, the capital city of Jerusalem, and moving our embassy to the capital city of Jerusalem. It was a very a significant symbolic move. It was also a, a, it was more than symbolic. It was indicating that they do have the sovereign right to pick their capital. But that relationship between the United States and Israel is just unquestionably stronger now than it was three years ago. And I, I think you would hear officials from all political stripes in Israel acknowledge as much. But there was a couple of concerning exchanges on this issue from these candidates last night. I want to play just a couple of them for 
for you. And then, Jackie, we're going to get to your call and others who are calling in. Uh, but I wanted to play this for you because I think it's important. How does Senator Sanders, how do some of these other candidates view our alliance with Israel? I want to start with Bite 56. Uh, this is Senator Sanders on the question of whether or not the U.S. Embassy should stay in Jerusalem or be moved back to Tel Aviv. Bite 56. Would you move the U.S. Embassy back to Tel Aviv? Let me just, the answer is it's something that we would take into consideration. So he would consider it. And actually, quickly, I want to I want to play what uh, Senator Warren had to say on this as well. This is Bite 60, but she was pressed uh, very, very firmly on whether or not she would move the embassy. And she tries to get around the question by saying it should be up uh, to the parties to decide. But take a listen. This is Bite 60, Senator Warren. Senator Please. Warren, just on the question of the, Israel, the, the embassy, what was your position It on is that? not ours to do. Would you move it back? It is right, not ours to do. We should let the parties determine Would the you move capitals. It back Our yes embassy no? should let the parties determine the capitals themselves. Nora? Okay, so just quickly, she's partially right. It is up to a sovereign country to determine where their capital is, and the United States should honor that sovereignty by placing our embassy in that capital. Well, Israel did that decades ago. They designated their capital, and the United States Congress passed a law decades ago that acknowledged Jerusalem as the capital and instructed the president to move the embassy to Jerusalem. It's just that no president would follow the law. They kept executing this six-month extension uh, time after time again and refusing to actually follow the law that was passed by Congress and signed into law by the president. Not this administration. This administration followed the law, honored Israel's sovereignty, and moved the embassy. It was the right thing to do, and it was well overdue. So I think Senator Warren should have stated that much more clearly. Israel's already made up their line. We don't have to wait for them to decide. They have decided, and now we have honored their decision. But quickly, before I go to Harry for for a little bit of input on this, I wanted to play for you maybe the most alarming piece of sound from last night on this issue of Israel. This is Senator Sanders, Bite 57, uh, talking about how he views the Israeli government and its current leadership, Bite 57. What I happen to believe is that right now, sadly, tragically, in Israel, through Bibi Netanyahu, you have a reactionary racist who is now running that country. So, Harry, the prohibitive leader inside the Democrat primary process, Senator Sanders, a Democrat socialist, on uh, in a public debate last night in front of millions of people trying to get the nomination for the Democrat Party, says that our strongest ally in the Middle East, the nation of Israel, is run by a reactionary racist. Uh, Harry, I'm not putting words in his mouth. He, he actually used the words that Bibi Netanyahu is a reactionary racist. How is that playing inside the Democrat Party? How is he the leader in this process? Well, in many respects, it's puzzling uh, because essentially uh, Senator Sanders is opening the door to attacking a Jews, A, within the United States, but certainly Jews that are located in the nation state of Israel. So when Senator Sanders calls Prime Minister Netanyahu a racist, It's important to keep in mind that this is an extremely rich claim. Sanders is a counter-revolutionary who largely supports progressive policies, progressive policies that include eugenics and exclusionary labor policies. What is the ultimate effect of eugenics and exclusionary labor policies? 
uh, in the United States, and I've looked at this for more than 20 years. The effect of those policies um, is to have a disproportionately adverse effect on African Americans and Latinos. So the question then becomes, why is Senator Sanders calling Prime Minister Netanyahu a racist when effectively Senator Sanders' own policies, correctly understood, um, are indeed racist? That is the question, and that is certainly a question for all Democrats. How can you support a potential nominee for president whose policies uh, take us back to the old exclusionary labor policies of apartheid South Africa? His policies take us back to Kerry v. Buck, a Supreme Court decision which said three generations of imbeciles is enough. And so what did the court do? Justice Holmes said it's okay to take the reproductive capacity of a woman uh, because she was uh, asserted to be an imbecile by the state of Virginia. Notice the parallels with the current governor of the state of Virginia. It's important to note she was not an imbecile. It was simply eugenics on steroids. Progressives have generally supported that those policies. Progressives uh, who support eugenics, uh, they uh, helped start Planned Parenthood, which Bernie Sanders and many other Democrats continue to support. So if we want to have a debate about racism, let's have a debate. It's alarming to me that a major party candidate for president of the United States would say that. It's even more alarming to me that the electorate of that party uh, would, would put him in the front of that process right now. But that's where we are. Uh, I'm going to go back to the phones. Jackie's calling from Wisconsin on line three. Jackie, thank you for holding on the line. Uh, welcome to Jay Secular Live. You're on the air. Thank you, Dan. Uh, so my question is, is if Sanders gets Democratic nomination, do you think that the news and the media outlets will show a little more support for Trump? <laughs> uh, not a chance. You want the honest answer? Not a chance. They've made up their mind. And in fact, I think you saw some indication of this even inside the Democrat uh, establishment uh, today when Speaker Pelosi came out and she was asked if she would support Senator Sanders if he is in fact the nominee and without missing a beat, she said that she would. Uh, never never mind the fact that Senator Sanders uh, typically doesn't run as a Democrat. He's running for the Democrat nomination now because it's convenient. He needs the nomination to run for president, but he typically does not run as a Democrat for the United States Senate. But yet Speaker Pelosi says that she will support him, and I would imagine that the media in large part would fall in line if he's the nominee. That would be my prediction. Folks, uh, we're about to find out, though. Saturday in South Carolina, the former vice president, Joe Biden, has to have a win, and I believe he has to have a convincing win because then we head to Super Tuesday next Tuesday when 15 states go to the polls. Mayor Bloomberg is going to spend heavily in those states. He will draw delegates. Senator Sanders, I can almost guarantee you, will win the most delegates on Super Tuesday. He will be in the lead. If the vice president wants to be in the mix, he has to win so convincingly on Saturday that it eats into Mayor Bloomberg's delegates next Tuesday. Um, I'll tell you, I actually think Senator Sanders is going to pull it off, but we will see I am in the minority on that view. We will find out. But after Super Tuesday, I think it's going to be down to two or three candidates. And we will talk to you tomorrow on Jay Seculo Live. 
for decades now. The ACLJ has been on the front lines, protecting your freedoms, defending your rights, in courts, in Congress, and in the public arena. The American Center for Law and Justice is on your side. If you're already a member, thank you. And if you're not, well, this is the perfect time to stand with us at ACLJ.org, where you can learn more about our life-changing work. Become a member today, ACLJ.org.